you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Imagine this. It's a late night. The air is dry and uncomfortably warm. You don't know what's about to unfold, nor the outcome, but it's now or never. You quietly make your way to the bank of the river and carefully board a small boat. This fishing boat is not much larger than this stage, and you're crammed in it with the 174 desperate souls trying to flee a country that has been recently impacted by a national military conflict. The atmosphere is intense, filled with anxiety. You're leaving family and friends. Little supplies are with you. You don't have too much more than the clothes that are on your back. This is your chance for a better life. But if the nation's government catch you, you risk prison and torture. As the boat starts to move, fear fills your mind. You've you've heard real accounts of pirates at sea raping women and children, killing on the board of boating vessels and throwing bodies overboard. Another thought comes to mind, the multitude of drownings and the boats that go out to, to endure storms, they're not seen again. But you remind yourself, it's now or never. This may be your only chance to flee to a new country, to get a new life, free from oppression and war. As the boat starts to open, move into open water, The whispers and mutters have started to hear, started to be heard, but then it returns back to silence. It's almost as if the people know the reality of the situation. What's that? This is day one on the boat. But the real question starts to arise, right? Will we make it? This is not a made-up story. This is the story of my parents fleeing from a communist country, ruled with oppression, ruling with oppression over its people after the Vietnam War. So if we haven't met yet, my name's Don, and before we start, I have to get something out of the way. In the staff room... Andrew and the pastor team did not say 
Don, you're a person of colour. Do you, do you want to preach on refugees and asylum seekers to get a bit of heat off of us? That's not what they said. The pastor team is not racist, a uh, little bit ethnically lacking in diversity, but not racist. But in all seriousness, I put my hand up to this. As difficult as it is, it's a mixture of personal, complex, encouraging, but importantly, I hope today that we can open up Scripture and look at what God might have to say about asylum seekers and refugees. As we continue our series in Left and Right, we have to approach this topic, don't we, with a question. What does the Bible say about this? And how, as Christians, do we respond to this topic of asylum seekers and refugees? I think it's important for us to start with a couple of definitions. First, a definition of asylum seekers. Asylum seeker is someone who is seeking protection from violence and oppression from another country. Requesting a sanctuary but has yet to be processed and verified legally as a refugee. This moves us importantly onto the next definition. A refugee. Refugees are people who have fled from war, violence, conflict, persecution, and have crossed an international border to find security in another nation, find safety in another country. They often flee with little more than the clothes on their back, leaving behind homes, possessions, and loved ones. But what does Scripture say about those traveling from place to place? Without a home nation of residents and seeking refuge and are vulnerable. We have to remember from Genesis that created humanity, Adam and Eve were given a perfect refuge and paradise in Eden. But sin came into the world. And we see that God's people become wanderers, needing shelter, a safe place to dwell in a broken world. The Old Testament uses this term, sojourners. A multitude of times in the Old Testament to describe an alien, a stranger, a foreigner, or a dependent newcomer dwelling among God's people. Scripture usually describes them as vulnerable, needing shelter, food, and protection. So not only does God see and care for his people when they're in trouble, or in a nation like Egypt, he acts towards sojourners of other nations with love. In the law of Moses, we see one of the most beautiful responses to sojourners. In God's community, they're given a refuge and community. Let's now look at the way that God cares for sojourners, those who are refugee-like. Old Testament laws and ethics, this is because there's a tremendous 
wealth of laws and commandments to God's people and the nation of Israel. To instruct them to care for strangers among those who are in the lands of Israel. Look at Exodus 22. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Or look at the next chapter, Exodus 23. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Are you seeing the pattern in the first two books of the Old Testament? God reminds them of how they were once sojourners, needing refuge and escape from the oppression in experienced in Egypt. We haven't even got to the Israelite leaders or the prophets or even Jesus yet. And as we we're meant to hear in the video, in Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Move over United Nations and Red Cross. God was working years ago. But wait, there's more. Leviticus 23. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall reap your field right up to the, not right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. It might feel like we're carbo-loading for an Old Testament marathon, but Christians tend to glance over the next verse. It's really important. Sojourners are invited into Sabbath rest and worship as well. Look at Deuteronomy 5.14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall do no work, you or the sojourner, with who is within your gates, the male servant and the female servant, may rest as well as you. Or later in Deuteronomy, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. We see the use of sojourner and the word exile through the prophetic books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and the minor prophets, especially when the Jewish people become sojourners and strangers themselves in a foreign land. This is why we need to look back at God's past ways and how he cares for strangers especially in biblical history. But what I'm about to tell you might shock you. I didn't always think in this way, like biblically caring for strangers. Due to my, during my late childhood and teenage years, in a post-9-11 world, seeing the World Trade Center destroyed. I had a fear of terrorism. This started in the early 2000s. I 
would go into my recesses and lunch into the library and read the newspaper, especially the politics and the international news section. I was a newspaper nerd. I would have been the last person you would have wanted to talk to at a birthday party. That and social gatherings. Overhearing there, you would be like, oh no, Don's talking about politics again. But in year eight, I spiced things up. I eventually wrote satirical papers, political commentaries on international news and distributing it to my classmates in year eight. I was into it. I was invested in reading up on international news and military conflicts, especially that of Afghanistan and the Iraq conflicts. And especially of that in the impact that that had on Australian immigration. I started to agree in those days with many political analysts and politicians at the time. Because they were saying, stop the boats, shut the gates. To summarize my political position as a teenager, I believe that allowing more asylum seekers into Australia would have a negative cultural and economic impact on our nation. I believed in discouraging queue jumping, especially for fairness for those who are legally entering into our country, and that more open borders correlate to increased activity in people smuggling, especially the abuse that entailed that area. And in all honesty, my fear grew of those pretending to be asylum seekers. I believed in the countries in the West, including Australia, needed to strongly mandate more firmer stances in protecting our country's safety and cultural and economic security. This might be a sad and insensitive way of putting it, but I was Asian on the outside and politically turning into Pauline Hanson on the inside. And some of you younger people might say to me, please explain. <laughs> uh, that's, that, I'm sorry, that was another reference. But in all seriousness, I started to believe that stopping the boats was the best thing for Australian immigration. Regardless of how desperate asylum seekers and refugees were. I know what you, some of you might be thinking at this point. Don, you are one confused son of a boat person. Your parents literally got on a boat fleeing from oppression with barely anything on their backs, with the bare minimum, no guarantees of safety. And you're going to say Australian immigration policy is just to a T perfect 
flawless, wise, compassionate, and real considerate on the basis of national and economic security. It makes you think, doesn't it? How do you think Jesus would have responded to me? Take a look, taking a look at God's view of sojourners and exiles so far, we see that Jesus' care only intensifies for strangers as he ministers and teaches. Look at the care for the poor in different, and look at the, the care of the poor of the suffering in different nations in Matthew 25, 32. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on, the, on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous saying, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The context of this passage is not preaching works over grace but the care of the poor and the strangers. And Jesus goes further in describing compassion and hospitality. Luke 14, 13 says this, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. But you might say to me, Jesus didn't have to deal with border control, terrorism and human corruption of our modern times. And to you I'll say, yeah, you're right. I agree with you. Following world conflicts and immigration policies for more than 20 years and speaking with those who see corruption on the front lines like people smuggling, this has informed me how complex and multifaceted the asylum seeker issue is. Just ponder this for a moment. It's both a disturbing and an easy task to be able to go and Google search some of the dark realities of people smuggling. Those who exploit people's lives, finances and hopes. Those who take advantage of people's desperation for wanting to flee to another country. But I'll say this in confidence. 
This wouldn't stop Jesus in his love and in his wisdom in engaging in this issue. After all, Jesus' own parents had to flee to Egypt to protect Jesus as a baby. And in the last 10 years, I've seen time and time again, Christians inside of the secular sphere and in Christian ministry use their gifts. Whether it's international law, medicine, education, to engage the care of asylum seekers and refugees in desperate situations. This is why some of us Christians might land more on the left. We see our responsibility, we feel the responsibility of representing a compassionate God, but not being responsible for those who try to take advantage and abuse more open-door policies. Not only is it important to look at Jesus' ministry, the treatment of those of another nation, it's important to look at the way that Christians in the past have dealt with similar situations. Personally, I was challenged by a long stretch. This was a long journey for me. It took me to my early 20s, deeply reflecting on my own Australian grandparents who adopted my mother at 17 years old into a family of five. But this understanding isn't unfamiliar with the New Testament, is it? Just look at the opening lines of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect, same usage, can be translated strangers or sojourners, of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The context of Peter's caring use of exiles is that of Christians fleeing for their lives for persecution due to their faith. What would the Holy Spirit through Peter say of our modern times? As much as immigration and national security issues regarding asylum seekers and refugees is complex, I think the apostles and faithful Christians of church history would be utterly appalled at the treatment that happens in detention centers where asylum seekers are detained. Did you hear of the Tampa incident in 2001? Weeks before 9-11? Or did you hear about the children overboard incident? Where parents were accused of recklessly throwing their kids overboard to manipulate some security and safety into getting passage into Australia rather than actually trying to save their children's lives while their boat was sinking. 
as a Christian, when I finally understood and grasped the, the Tampa incident, where 400 refugees, Afghan refugees, were turned away from Australian waters and denied care, or the incorrect narrative of the children overboard incident. When I reflected on this as a Christian, it grieved me. I was once a major advocate for stop the boats in the early 2000s. But as I read scripture and I met Jesus and I prayed through these complexities, my view of the treatment of refugees and asylum seekers dramatically changed. And to use it as a bargaining chip to win political campaigns and votes during election times became distasteful. But as Christians, how do we respond? Firstly, we need to pray for our governments, as it says in Romans 13, for wisdom in this area. It's clearly complex and multifaceted. But secondly, wisdom that is not separated from God's love. And what's the basis for such love? It's the redeeming reminder of the destination of restored humanity in Christ Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male, no, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So some of you might be thinking at this point, I should conclude with 10 ways to advocate for refugees. Or some of you maybe earlier were thinking, there's going to be 10 ways that you're not going to stop, you're going to not support asylum seekers. I hate to disappoint, but this might sound odd. But if we don't have Christ as our center, whether we land left or right or anywhere in between, if we don't have Christ as our focus, we're vulnerable to extremes. This is why we need Christ's life, God's wisdom to anchor our vision, wisdom and discernment when engaging in this topic. Let me give some personal examples that need real wisdom and love. Number one, governments have responsibilities to serve our people. And a part of that is to manage dangers and risks. For example, discerning criminals who have no records or the challenges of processing healthcare, languages, and education for asylum seekers. Taking in refugees and asylum seekers has real risks. 
This was the case for those abusing French open borders in 2015, which resulted in the, the Paris bombings in 2015. And there are domestic and local community impacts as well. I know from my background as a Vietnamese man, there are many who came over that fell into crime, gangs, gambling, and abusive behavior. Don't judge my friend, but he understood this reality in his line of work. When I was living in Ballarat, I met and I befriended a uh, prison warden, a prison guard, uh, in, who, who worked in, in prisons in Geelong. I was a little bit cheeky. I, I used to say to him, oh, have you met my cousin yet in prison? Have you met my second cousin? No, not yet. Uh, don't worry. Chances are you'll see me in there soon. And he would reply to me, cold, but he understood it. I'd rather not. I see so many people with your last name in there already. Oh, I'm attempting to, to soften it. But there's a serious truth regarding some of the Vietnamese circles that came during the 80s. Some of the children in particular, the, the sons of refugees my age, fell into all sorts of broken relationships, crime, gambling, and mental health issues. Gaining refugee status and starting a family does not solve matters of the heart. Neither does it solve the deep sin issues. But we have to answer this call to compassion and wise advocating, even in the midst of these complexities. Watch any serious documentary on people smuggling. But go further than that. Talk to people who deal in border control, civil wars, law enforcement, and military personnel who see the front lines, especially when it deals with people smuggling. It is by far not a straightforward issue. And to those who understand these realities, I pass no judgment if you land in a different position. Either do I encourage anyone to shut down or attack anyone who has a different perspective on asylum seekers and refugees. But if the ultimate goal as a Christian is to protect our nation from terrorism, the Australian way of life, homegrown jobs, economic pressure due to immigration or guarding from dramatic cultural change, we fall short biblically if that's our stance, neglecting our call from Genesis to Jesus, God's care of the Gentiles, 
to the call of the life and the love of the church. This call of compassion and the common good for those who may be hurting and needing refuge. And Australians should be challenged in this area. Currently, we take about 10,000 refugees a year. It might sound a lot, but compare it to Germany, for instance. In 2015, during the Syrian conflict, Germany took in one million refugees. How about recent times of the Ukraine and Russia conflict? Hundreds and thousands of Ukrainian refugees taken in by neighboring countries. This is not to mention those of different countries of Christians getting involved and caring. But we need to discern the danger of losing a healthy perspective. If opening our borders is the ultimate goal, especially without a long-term plan that involves wisdom and discernment, we risk the other extreme. We risk being unwise and less discerning of the call, the ultimate call of the gospel. I know as Christians, I know of Christians like myself have gone to this extreme and concluded this as the ultimate endpoint. It isn't. To begin with, we need to remember that refugees are more like you and I than we realize. We're made in the image of God. And like the refugee, our ultimate home and safety needs to be found in Jesus. My Australian grandparents knew this. They advocated for several refugee families. But they prayed for my mum and, and, and my family for more than 35 years to come to saving faith. I know what you might be thinking. I can barely pray for more than five minutes, let alone 35 years. But in all seriousness, those prayers have been largely answered. My grandfather passed away of a brain tumour before he could see the eternal life that came from adopting my mother. But it was importantly the prayer and him sharing the gospel that was spectacular. But isn't it a reminder, isn't it, of something bigger as we care for refugees and asylum seekers? Gloria Furman says this, home is not our refuge. God is. God is. Before we launch into disagreements or arguments about discussing the importance of national security and immigration law and policies, or on the other hand, the 
if you're bursting at the seams to advocate for those who are poorly treated, asylum seekers and refugees, in detention centers. No matter where you land, remember this. We need to look at this issue and any of the issues of left and right with a gospel lens. With gospel vision, looking at this, before you knew Christ, you were lost and broken with no true spiritual home. And secondly, we have a sovereign God. At the same time, his ways are higher than our ways in how he governs and even allows the suffering of refugees in, to occur in a broken world. But we have to remember that our lives and our very faith are un, by undeserving grace. If you're a Christian today, you were chosen before you had a right to citizenship into a kingdom that lasts forever. And that the ground of the cross is for all people. It's an invitation to the safest household of all. For those without a nation to call their home, and those of us who do. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus that sums it up with tremendous beauty. Ephesians 2.19. So then no longer are you strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. I know some of us will differ in this topic, but I know Christian refugee parents, like my mother, hear this last verse with tremendous glory that's hard to rejoice in apt words. Romans 8.15 says this, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Would you encourage us and challenge us in this area, Lord? Thank you that you have cared for sojourners and exiles through all of history. And I pray that as we look at Jesus and we look at your word, that you would call us into that care with great wisdom and compassion. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.